This is Higher Education, a podcast brought to you by Catapult Solutions Group. Hello, everyone. It's your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and welcome to another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult podcast. We're obviously glad to be back in studio and have y'all watching another episode from the team as we continue to discuss the future of work, trends that are shaping hiring realities for businesses, and discussing some of the tools that are out there today to stay competitive and hire at a higher standard, right? Pun intended there. So thanks again for joining us. And as we get into today's conversation points, make sure that you're headed to our website, catapultsg.com. Again, catapultsg.com for more information on our resources, our solutions, but then also other pieces of Catapult content, including episodes of Higher Education. Uh, And you can also subscribe to Higher Education on the usual channels, podcast channels like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, you name it. So just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of all of our conversations and you'll get notifications when we drop new episodes. So let's jump right into it, folks. Without further ado, today's episode is going to intersect uh, some strategies around real estate, ESG goals, hiring trends, and even content marketing strategies. So that's a diverse spread of topics, right? Uh, The big unifier here and the main motivator for today's conversation really comes from the preeminent trend that's defining work models today. You can probably guess where I'm going with this, work from home. It's not new, right? This is something that's been an established consequence now of the pandemic uh, that many businesses again, relinquish some of their physical spaces in favor of remote work. Uh, And they're now sticking with that shift. But what we wanted to do was dig a little deeper and get into the core of what work from home represents, right? And, And ask, what is still uncertain about work from home or even hybrid work models? And will they play, you know, a long term competitive edge for businesses? And if so, what are the benefits? How do you evangelize them? And what are the long term impacts on the local economies that then support a work from home ecosystem. So we're gonna discuss all of that and have an open discussion again on the impacts of work from home on various business goals uh, and offer some strategies for making the most of this work model shift if you're a business that's decided to stick with work from home or if you're debating you know, maybe you're in between. Do I go hybrid? Do I bring everyone back in office? What are the benefits of remote? We're gonna discuss the core of that, not just the strategic implications, but really the heart of what work from home represents. So I'd like to go ahead and welcome our two guests. Hello, friends. First up, we've got Mr. Alex Anderson. He's back uh, from last episode. Alex Anderson is CFO, Chief Financial Officer at Catapult. Alex, welcome back. How you doing? It's good to be here, man. It's good to have Roy on this podcast. Welcome to the Higher Standard, Roy. It's good to be here. We're going to have fun. Yes, and again, first time on the podcast, I'd like to welcome Mr. Roy Reese. He's Senior Vice President at Cressa. Cressa is a trusted commercial real estate firm that thinks beyond just space and looks at the impact of their properties on landlords and tenants alike, really everyone that has to exist and occupy this space. Well said. Thank you. How do you prep you for that? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, like that was pretty good. I like to do my homework. I like I to mean, make sure we pitch it right. LinkedIn videos. <laughs> <laughs> so, I think well, you were getting pitched on that before we came in to record the podcast. So Victor, you did a pretty good job and he's Great job. Deal right. Well, it's funny. Literally last time I was pitching catapult and they're like you want to like join the marketing team yeah. or something? So I'm going <laughs> to, I need to like contract out my services apparently on company we pitches. We not have sent him an offer letter, Victor. Yeah. Ooh, ah, testy, but oh, that's staying under wraps. <laughs> but no, <laughs> but yeah, welcome. Great Thank to you. have you both on. Um, what I like to do to pitch the show and to really uh, highlight, because this was something that was in last episode too, but highlight the relationship between our guests yeah. is to let y'all introduce each other a little bit. So Alex, if you could 
pitch Roy to us, right? If you had to give the elevator pitch and someone was like, what does Roy do, right? What's this guy's deal? Break that down. Yeah, um, well, this is, uh, and I hope I do you justice here, Roy. Okay. Um, I actually cross paths with Roy in the traditional, um, I guess, through traditional mechanisms uh, of, of interacting with a real estate which agent I think was a cold, Which broker. I think was a cold call. It was. So, you know, I showed up somewhere on Roy's list of, of leads, and uh, we started having a conversation about our needs, real estate needs at Catapult, especially in, um, specifically in Dallas and then across the country. Mm-hmm. And I, I guess our relationship developed over time. What I, the reason why Roy uh, is still, I would consider, a, a close professional and personal um, relationship of mine is because of the way his brain works. And I think in this podcast you'll get an opportunity to see that. But Roy's ability to deliver services for his clients is not founded in purely how much money he can make his organization. Um, it's, it has everything to do with what what you need as an individual, what your business needs, what your people need. Okay. And so the root, I think, of, of Roy's um, value proposition as a professional and person is his, the way he cares about people. Um, and he also is a real estate mogul uh, in DFW, and uh, he's growing that? his online presence as well, so we're trying to help him. So, but like, we, going back to real estate though, I know you want me to introduce Alex, but the reason I liked Alex is Alex is a critical thinker. Yes. So Alex thinks beyond just, okay, just the numbers. Sure. He thinks about the people, he thinks about the business. And if you think about a business, what is a business? A business is just a collection of people getting together to perform a service or a product to then sell it to somebody that's going to provide value in their life, right? And when you, when you look at what's happening in organizations today, somehow we're, we're missing, like the, the discussion of like work from home is my opinion, the complete wrong discussion. All right, well, we're done with the podcast then, guys. We'll go ahead and call it here. No, no I, I'm just kidding. But no, it's a good opener. So yeah, I agree. It's, it's, just the, it's the absolute wrong discussion. I mean, so has anybody ever read Simon Sinek start with why? You know, if you look back at like the Japanese ar- army, when they did anything, they used to ask five whys. So, hey, I'm, I'm going to go to lunch. Why? Well, because I'm, I'm hungry. Why? Well, because I haven't had anything to eat in six hours. Okay, why? Like, everything is why, why, why. Get to the core of it, the get heart to, of it. Get to the, get to the core of it. In 2016, 17, I read this book. I'm bored out of my mind in commercial real estate. Literally, like, my job is see target, hit target. Hey, Alex, what do you need? I need 100,000 square feet of office space. Great. Let me go run a report, see what's out there, and let me go talk to the landlord. And, you know, it's like, see, you know, people, it's like a hammer and a nail. Okay, you want a good deal? Let me go get you a good deal. Bah! Bah! I'm going to go, I'm going to be the hammer, and I'm going to go get you the good, I'm going to just go nail it, right? I think if you do that, you sometimes, you're more the screw. You can... (laughs) You, you can, can fill, fill that in, in <laughs> a little bit, okay? Yes. But, but when you start reading Start With Why, the very first chapter talks about the American car manufacturers. They were getting killed by the Japanese. They're absolutely getting destroyed. And what happened was the Americans went over to the assembly line. And when they went to the Japanese assembly line, they looked at it and they said, look, you're doing the same exact thing we're doing. You're putting tires on, you're putting a windshield on, except the only difference is, Japanese, when you pull the car off the assembly line in America to make sure that our doors you know, they're completely flush. What we do is we get a rubber mallet hammer and we nail in the door to make sure that's flush. And the Japanese go like, you stupid Americans. We design our cars so we don't have to hit a brand new car with a hammer. But how many times in America, that was the the automobile industry, it's a tough word to say, the car industry. Right. We're just hitting stuff with a hammer 
and we're not really thinking about the end in mind. Like if you look at a leader, this is leadership, right? What are, out of all the business books, there's three main things a leader has, right? They start with the end in mind, and they reverse engineer back. Yep. They, they love their people. Biblically speaking, it says love your neighbor as yourself, and love also requires sacrifice. You've got a baby, right? That's a lot of sacrifice. Waking up at three o'clock in the morning, you're sacrificing your sleep, your time, your money. There's no other greater love than to lay down your life for your brother, right? So we know that love takes sacrifice. And then the third thing as leaders that you've got to do is that you can't be prideful because we know that you know before pride comes before a fall. But if we took those three things as a leader and apply those to all the decision making decisions that we make, whether that's real estate, people, hiring, firing, software to buy, I think it just changes the organization. So the discussion that we're having with organizations, yes, it's about real estate, but real estate's boring. It's just sticks and bricks. It's more about what's your why and where are you trying to go, and how does real estate play into that? Does that, that make sense? sense? Totally. Yeah, well, that, 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 that is a very well-rounded, I guess, uh, ex explanation or description as to why Roy was interesting to me despite, I guess, the initial point of contact. Yeah, I mean, we got a so, peek into the mindset yeah, here, so, you know? Yeah, you can tell, like, you know, and, and this is what differentiates any company or person selling a product or service. That, what he just explained, create is the foundation for what I consider the ultimate consultative, I guess, representative of somebody selling commercial real estate services, but also because what he is doing, and I think as a byproduct, Cressa, now formerly ESRP, yep. they're providing a consultative service above and above and beyond hitting the the, the yep. nail with the hammer. Doing right? a good so job. What, what are you trying to accomplish within your organization? What is the the vision of the organization? Right. Let us try to align our service with that as opposed to what do you need right now? 100,000 square feet. Also aligns with what is going to make us the most money That's right. and the next period or the current period. Right. So, um, yeah, you help me explain or define you or yep. your role. Yeah. Well, I, that, but what I love about that is that clearly it's got the, um, it's got the big picture vision as the heart of. Um, you know, like the, the, the guiding force for um, implementing a, uh, a sound strategy and one that, you know, really speaks to the heart of whatever the mission is, right? So whether it's we need a new software, we need a new space, we need to hire uh, and, and completely staff a whole new team. But it doesn't also sacrifice sort of the strategic minutia, the short term, the, okay, well then to get to that big picture, we got to make sure all these little steps makes sense, but also still align, right? And so everything is just one piece of the puzzle building on top of each other. Um, and I want to pull that mindset now and apply it to this work from home conversation, right? You mentioned earlier, we're having the wrong conversation around work from home. Um, I want to pose this and just kind of draw from some of the conversations you're having with your own clients. But as you work with clients in industries where work from home is possible, right? And is becoming more of a reality. So Alex, you more on the talent sourcing side and then Roy, on the work environment, the real estate side, how much permanence are you seeing in work from home, sort of the attitudes around it? Are companies talking about it as though it's it's this indefinite adjustment, we've adopted it and we're happy with it? Are there still some hints that they'd like to step back into the office when the time is right? You know, we're, we're just kind of feeling this out. Yeah, it works now, but eventually we'll, you know, we'll flip the tables and get back to it. Thoughts, yeah, whatever well, here. I'll go first, because I think this more directly affects your industry. Mm -hmm. um, so for us, it, it, I think very different than real estate, um, it allowed us to look at, ultimately a staffing firm provides the core services. We identify talent and deploy that talent um, 
for our clients, right? So we're identifying typically difficult to find skill sets uh, or people with certain skill sets that are difficult to find. Um, and then we're aligning them with requirements or needs of our clients. Um, there's an additional layer there that is the consultative nature of a staffing firm, right? Which is why ultimately staffing as it exists today will never be fully replaced by a platform. This is a conversation we have internally at Catapult all the time. What are the threats on the landscape to our organization? Staffing platforms are one of those. They affect certain labor categories more than others, but, but at the end of the day, we're connecting our clients, more closely connecting our clients with the labor force, the labor market, and we're trying to shorten the gap of understanding between employers of people and people seeking employment. And when work from home became kind of widely adopted, one uh, as a byproduct of everyone having to work from home and no one being, being allowed in buildings, that opened up the pipeline for us. So now we no longer, within our kind of delivery mechanism, had to, it was not as critical to identify a person that could work within a certain geography and be at an office at a certain time of day and the highway system. So these are the kind of conversations you have with candidates. Hey, where do you live in DFW as it relates to the place you need to show up for uh, for work at? What highways do you have to take? How much is that toll going to cost you, right? Depending on the, the roles we're working on. That was no longer a part of the conversation. We were able to, to source candidates globally. For the first time ever, we've, we've got contractors working in something like 47 states. We've got five physical markets where we have salespeople sitting. We've got clients all over the country. Uh, we haven't had a candidate come in our office in like three years. That used, to be a, that used to be an everyday occurrence to the extent that when I was first talking to Roy, we were considering how many meeting rooms and interview rooms do we need in our space. Right. And that is, uh, it's non-existent, right? right? And so now we're, we're, we're identifying talent in Canada, in Colombia, and all over the world, even Eastern Europe, right? People who are displaced as a result of what's happening with Russia and Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And if a client needs ultimately a, a skill set and a person that can fulfill these requirements, they align with the organization culturally, they can speak the right languages, they can sit anywhere. And so it, it kind of blew the scope open for us. So we can get candidates much faster. Velocity came far more important, became far more important. Um, and we had to refine and become more competitive as it relates to the, the technologies that we're using to identify talent. Yeah. So for us, it was really kind of a benefit. It helped transform the staffing industry and accelerate the transformation, I guess, right. in a direction it was already going, which I think is kind of synonymous with a lot of other things that COVID affected. It just kind of sped up right. just a lot of pre-existing trends. All it did. We've right. been telling people that for years that yeah. we should be doing this. Like, this is all gonna happen. So that's, that's how it affected us. Right. And so what we see happening in the future is, we think that there are undeniable efficiencies that you, that you will see as an organization, especially if you're a sales-driven organization, which is all of them, if you have your teams working together. Some companies are really good at creating a virtual environment where that can occur. You cannot replicate being in a room or in an office with people that you, uh, that you can, can talk to at the, when you're getting coffee or that you can talk about. You, know, you can in person, face to face, have a conversation about The Hunter, the movie that we were just talking right. about, right? Or the most recent episode of, of House of Dragons, right? right? Those types of things I that need enhance to watch culture. More TV, I guess. <laughs> I'm I'm a game of we're Game of Thrones fans in our house, but you, you cannot recreate that in a Slack, sure, virtual environment. You can't do it. Yeah, it's just not the same. And some companies now leaders are having to adapt, and their leaders are getting better at managing an organization and a culture, not just managing but leading a culture. So how do you lead it virtually? How do you lead a culture 
where it's both. Well, that's that's what I see as the future. So right. you, you kind of answer the question for us at least where I see it going. The the future is I think this hybrid concept. We still need a space. You still get the benefit of people being in the same physical space um, and the the culture enhancement that that creates. Right. And also potentially the efficiencies, the work-life efficiencies, and and of people being able to to be at home a few days a week, spend more time with their kids. Right. We talk. We're going to talk about mental illness at yeah. some point in this podcast, which is which is what I, which is what I wanted to bring up. Yeah. Right. And so so well, that's look, it. I think hybrid is the is the future. Well, if you if you look at it too, you'll hear companies say, "Hey, we need to make logical decisions." Okay. Well, honestly, are we do we actually make logical decisions? Not often. I mean, I'm serious. Everyone right? tries their best. <laughs> I've been married 15 years. Uh, the first 60 days, I almost proposed to my wife. Right? That's really not a logical. That's not a. That's not a logical decision. Hey, why did, why did Alex, you know, pick the shirt that he's wearing today? I mean, he kind of looks like Gordon Gecko a little bit. Hey, you know, with the white. But I'm saying, like, look, we 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 make certain we make certain decisions, but. What I'm what I'm getting at is um, everybody thinks, hey, let's just let's just paint a broad brush. So hey, look, let's work from home three days a week, and you come in too, and that kind of works for everyone. And that's a logical decision. Okay. Well, what about the what about the IT guy that's a complete introvert that actually works better all by himself? in a cave with the lights off. You ever seen like, you know, and they've got these headsets on and the lights are dark. Which is how most developers prefer right? to work. In my so, so we paint this broad brush and go, well, hey, you, you need to come in the office three days a week and you can go do that at two. And I'm saying, okay, like, is that really smart for everybody? And so we, I've been saying this, I've been saying this for years. And then you take a, an extroverted salesman or an extroverted Accountant, by the way, you know the difference between an introverted and an extroverted accountant? Hmm. An introverted accountant looks at his shoes when he talks to you. An extroverted accountant looks at your shoes. So, no, but I'm, but I'm saying is we, we, again, like we're almost painting these broad brush strokes and I'm still saying that's not the right approach. It's like the CEO of Airbnb coming out and saying everybody can work from home. Like he's got an agenda. He makes a lot of money when everybody else works from home. So that way they don't work from home. They work from an Airbnb and they may be working in Costa Rica. They may be working in, you know, wherever, fill in the blank, right. Scottsdale, Arizona. And then you'll have other organizations that say, hey, you know, Apple came back and did it and say, hey, everyone's coming back to the office and what happened? Autom automatic pushback where employees were signing stuff. Goldman Sachs, then you talk about also what's the future? How's that affect the communities? You've seen it in New York City, the restaurants are dying. The shopping is dying. So I don't think, I don't think the office goes away and I don't think it's even like a three, two or two, three. Like I think the same way we've seen retail change, you know, remember when we got online and they said there will be no more stores? Hey, well, why would we ever have stores? Well, I still order things on Amazon, but I still went to Lululemon this weekend too. And so, I, I think we're going to see a change in things, and I do believe we're better together. You know, that's why everyone says, hey, I'm happier at home. Well, if that's the case, then why is mental health, why is anxiety and depression going through the roof? And so um, I think we need to take a much deeper dive at, as leaders, how is this affecting our people? And if you kind of going back to those three things that a leader does, starting with the end in mind, love your people, do what's best for them, and then don't do what's best for you, right? 
It's humility. Pride comes before a fall. I think when you start looking at organizations, you have to say, okay, not what's best for you today. It may be better for you today to work from home, but I'm saying you're 25 years old, you're 35 years old, you still have 30, 40, 50 years left in a career. And if we're gonna really build and grow something, okay, what's, what does that look like? And I still don't think organizations are making that decision. I still think they're making the best decision for today to keep employees, to make sure that they don't lose them, to make sure, I was, I was at Whole Foods the other day and I'm sitting there getting coffee and we have this work from home topic. And this guy in IT, worked at a large healthcare company in the Dallas area, won't say who, and he goes, I tell you what, I hate going to the office. I'm right here, and just starts going off about how much he hates going into the office. Just unprompted? Just unprompted. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, this is, didn't even, I mean, it'd be a great guy to have on the podcast. Yeah, right, but, <laughs> bring him in. Know, he, but, 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 my point, but my point is, his company made some overarching decision and what's he feel? He doesn't feel like his leaders listen to him. He doesn't feel like his leaders care about him. He certainly doesn't feel loved. And he feels like the reason his leaders are doing that is because they want to have oversight of him and watch him. Right. In a relationship, relationships have to have what? Trust. Mutual trust. Mutual trust. And so if all of a sudden you don't feel trusted, there's a disconnect between you and the leadership. Right. So, you know, what, what I'm hearing is this balance that seems like um, one that every company is gonna have to weigh moving forward. It's both the balance of, if we're gonna do this work from home or if we're gonna do this hybrid work model, what you're both sort of advocating for here is one that is very individualized where the person themselves, the employee, the professional, you know, uh, they have been given this opportunity during COVID. You know, if we have to pick a silver lining from the pandemic, which I know is always like a strange thing to say, but we, you know, uh, at least corporate professionals were given an opportunity to sort of imagine a change to their work-life balance, right? And it prompted this desire to have more ownership over what does that work-life balance look like for me? And it seems like now I'm in an environment where I can make that decision and... I want to value that, right? And so now employers had to decide, well, do we engage with that then, right? Can Bob in IT and Jim in sales both sort of define how they want to work and me say, yeah, okay, as long as you achieve what you need and we have mutual trust and communication, boom, great. So there's that. But then you also bring up another interesting point, which I, I do also agree with to some degree, which is there are benefits to being in a literal physical environment with other people. There are life lessons that you learn from being on a team, from fostering, you know, the benefits of collaborating with other people and being- well, like You just said it, like- A piece in a puzzle, for, for you know? Bob, for, for what? Right. For Bob to go do his job. Right. There is no I in team. Right. right? It's, a, it's a little bit like saying, you know, hey, we just witnessed one of the greatest miracles ever yesterday. I mean, the Dallas Cowboys won a game. Dallas. <laughs> and with Cooper Rush. And with Cooper Rush. I like that guy. That's what I'm saying, without an offensive line. But if you watched that, what did you watch? Did you watch Did you watch Cooper Rush beat him? Did you watch CeeDee Lamb beat him? I mean, I could actually make an argument that you saw Michael Parsons beat him because yeah. he put some pressure. Okay, but that's a bad yeah. example. <laughs> but what I'm saying is it, it took what? It took, a te- it took a team. So I think, again, that's where the disconnect is. It, you, you can't, what's the betterment of the organization and what role do I play? Yes, my role is my job. Yes, you know, Diggs' job is to cover the receiver, 
but there's also value that he brings to the organization besides just shutting down a receiver and making interceptions mm -hmm. leading up to the game. There's, it's knowing that, hey, I, I, trust, I trust this guy to do his job. He trusts me. There's, some, there's something about working together as a team in an organization. And if you look at a healthy organization versus an unhealthy organization, something that is healthy is doing what? It's growing and replicating. Mm -hmm. What's a dying organization doing? just slowly decaying. So that's the question that we have for some of these organizations. Just because this works today, right? Like me drinking this Dr. Pepper works today to give me energy, but this is probably like, I shouldn't say that, we're on a podcast there, Dr. Pepper. But like, this is not the healthy, I should be drinking green juice or something, right? right. There's, a, there's a better decision. No, I agree. I mean, I mean look, yes. You bring up but, a good point, and this is interesting. <laughs> I think it's, a, we've talked about this a few times. I think what happened when we kind of, when the, well, I guess when the top was blown off this work from home concept and we started to see kind of return to, to some level of normal and companies react to that differently, where you've got massive, you know, um, I guess negative response by, you know, large organizations, yeah. workforce saying, I don't want to get back in the office. Well, for a lot of organizations, there are healthy and unhealthy cultures. There were healthy and unhealthy businesses and cultures going into COVID. That's right. And so what happened was, and I think this is where poor leaders got exposed, uh, leaders of organizations, because what very quickly happened was companies that could pivot well to a work from home environment that did it successfully, great. And a lot of, a lot of cases you saw more efficiency. At Catapult, we saw, for the most part, efficiency not change. Uh, we had to get better at monitoring data, at leveraging our systems, mm -hmm. making sure clean data was going in and out of the systems that we we're using. Um, but we also had to become much better as a leadership team of understanding how people in the organization feel about the decisions we're making. Um, and I think most companies that do this well, you spoke to it, because this, there is an individuality component to this, not just for the employee, but also the business, the industry, right? Different companies may benefit more from having people in the office more often than not and different and, and vice versa. So for us, we needed to, we had to get really good at, at what is effectively putting our ear to the ground of the organization saying, what are people responding well to? And balancing that between, okay, what is going to move this organization toward the, the destination That's set right. by the vision? And so that's a, that's a really tricky thing. It's hard to do. Isn't it's it? hard to do because you know you have a ton of different personalities and things, and you're trying to a good company creates and builds and then replicates. It grows and then replicates, that's right? And you start to see within different parts of our organization, especially post COVID, where is that working and where is it not within my organization, and what do we need to change to fix that? Because everyone is so different. Well, it's it's hard to grow and replicate too when people yep. are resigning. Look, we've just gone through the great resignation. Right. And now you've got this quiet quitting. Right. And so Which you could argue has been happening for forever. a long time. Now right. it's, it's allowed <laughs> it's, to happen more that's freely. Right. That's right. right. Look, this is, there's, there's nothing new under the sun. And then I even think about work and schedules. Like you talk about working from home and work-life balance, but guess what else I did from home? I also taught my kids. Right. I, didn't have, I didn't have to go through carpool and drop them off. And if they weren't there by 7.30, we got a tardy slip. Right, and we have we have lunch. They have lunch at eleven forty-five, and drop off is at three o'clock, and then the bus. Right, I mean we had very structured. I also didn't have soccer practice every night at six o'clock because soccer practice is at six because we got out of school at three. I mean right. everything was very very structured. Go back and look at the structure. This is where I'm saying we should be asking more questions, yeah. and look at how people work. 
why was the nine to five invented in the first place? Do you know? It was the assembly line, okay? Do you know why? If, and then if you take the daily schedule, now let's look at the annual schedule. Let's look at the calendar. Why do we have summer break? And so Alex could go work in the farm with his dad in the summer because that's when Alex was needed to work, to physically work. So I could make an argument that when you start looking at the entire structure of work and our society, it got flipped on its head because guess what? We had a very different schedule at my house doing work, our activities. We would go on bike rides rather than soccer practice because you couldn't have joint, I mean, it just changed everything. And so it's even changed the way I work. Like I work much different now than I did in 2019. I've been in commercial real estate for over 17 years now. And for 15 years, I did it for one way. And so I don't think that, kind of going back to your work from home though, I think there's an element of saying, I'm more productive when I exercise 30 minutes a day. I'm more productive when I eat at home and don't go through a drive-through right. because I'm, I'm putting good fuel in my body. Yeah. Guess what? There's, there's, certain, there's certain people that adapted well in COVID and there's certain people that did not adapt well in COVID. Yeah. Well, and we forget how, I don't mean to cut you off, no, you're fine. Daniel, but we forget how, you made, you made a few points that allude to how young this country is how relatively new the concept of a structured work environment is um, and, and how quickly things are changing. Like what COVID did is it forced just the way he, des he described his schedule completely flipping on its head and the same happened for me. I have a 17 month old son, um, you know, we've got a young family and, and what I think for Roy and myself and a lot of other people, COVID forced everyone to look at this society's expectation of what routine is supposed to look like, mm -hmm. professional routine and what the workplace should be, and challenge all of those concepts. Right. And what came out the other side of it was um, a, a nation, a workforce, that has a ton of different opinions on this. And now corporations, businesses, enterprises, firms, right? Everyone now has this challenge where you have to, if you wanna stay competitive, offer accommodations to individuals because it really is like it, there really has been sort of a flip where the the office employee has a little bit more power in that dynamic or at least more power of choice right there are more options to choose from whether or not like you get the perfect option there's just more of them but on the flip side too uh businesses still have this need, especially if they go hybrid, to engage their decentralized employees uh, and still create a sort of team buy-in. And that's the challenge now, right? How do we uh, accommodate individuals and still build a culture, especially one that is maybe remote, where you said it yourself, it's tough to build the same kind of culture that you could have in person that you know now you're trying to do it over teams. How do you still surpass that challenge and build a, a team that is decentralized, that is hybridized, and that extends beyond just, yeah, I'm bought in because if I don't, I lose my job, right? But just slightly more elevated than that, where there is a sense of, I have a role, it's part of a larger initiative, there is a vision, this is how I'm contributing to it, and we're doing this together, right? And that's that balance that I feel like work from home, 
you know, threw a wrench in that balance and is now redefining the scope of how you even answer that question, yeah. which is exciting, I, I'd say at least. Look, uh, Alex, you play football, right? Yep. Did you do everything as a team or did you have individual drills? Everything has a team component. Okay. Um, and to answer your question in short, you did everything as a team, but there were moments where you had to break out into your smaller team or subspecialty yeah. in an organization. And, uh, and focus on te techniques exclusive to what you do. That's right. So um, a little bit of both, but you know, for us, like you do everything, you cannot create, you asked me if I played football. It's, like, you, you, it's hard to create a competition, uh, an atmosphere of competition, healthy competition. And this is why I tell people all the time, people like talk about, oh, we wanna hire athletes. Why is that? Yeah. There are a swath or, or a chunk of young people in the world who at the age of 18 to 22 have to learn what it's like to compete for their job. And if they don't compete well enough, they lose it. A lot of, of mid-20-year-olds don't experience that, or young people don't experience that until they're 25, 26, 27 years old, when the first part of their, the first part of their life where they're really having to compete truly for a job or for some recommend some uh, some you know some um, I don't know some award, and so what happens a lot of times for young people get in that environment they don't really know how to react to it and it, it can have a negative impact on culture when you got a lot of people who don't compete well with their team within their team, and that is what's hard to manage remotely, um, and that's a kind of a, there's a lot of nuance there. Uh, but this is why you want to have people in an environment where they can hear the coach talking to everybody, right? And the accommodations you just spoke of, the individual accommodations, make it really hard to set precedent of expectation because you have people who are performing at a really high level, not because you're asking them to. This is this whole silent, this silent quitting concept. Mm -hmm. What that is, if you don't know, is people who shut in their laptop at five and they're, they're done. It's people who have made a commitment to not working outside of the 40 hours a week or the 35, whatever they decide is the expectation and they don't wanna go above and beyond that. Well, as an employer or someone trying to build an organization, it's real easy to say, okay, well then those people can't work here or they can't work in, on, in my company or uh, in this team. But that, that person, if they were in the right environment, may be motivated indirectly by their team to compete. That's right. And so that is one of the examples of I think, like having people in an environment together physically can create efficiency and generate more performance. And so... Um, well, environments matter. They absolutely look, do. Look, if yeah. you just go do a study, go take families or kids that are grow up in apartments, move them to a single family home and look at their test scores. They're higher, okay? Winston Churchill said, hey, we, we create our environments and then they create us, right? They define us. And so, so many times when you're talking about buildings, people talk about real estate, but really what we need to be talking about is, okay, what's, what's the environment like? You know, my favorite little, you know, used to get it, and it was all these cubicles, and it said, we want people to think outside the box, but yet they put them in all these little cubicles that look like a box. Go read, go read Cal Newport. You know, Georgetown IT professor, the guy doesn't even have social media. He will never see this, unfortunately. He will never watch this podcast. But he's an IT professor, but he talks, he's got a book called Digital, Minimal, Digital Minimalism and then Deep Work. 
And the, the study is, you talk about the quiet quitting, hey, I'm only gonna work 40 hours, but why is it that I think the average American works like you know, less than three hours a day? So we may be at the office eight hours a day, and we had an hour to commute. You know, we've got an hour commute, we've gotta walk up the stairs, we've gotta see on the elevator, we've gotta talk to Susie at the coffee pot. You know, all the, all the little things in life that seem like a waste of time, but they're not, right? You think about how many great conversations I've had with people at my office at the coffee pot and talking. But what, what I'm going back to is that's why I think the schedule is so interesting. If employees were only working less than three hours a day going into COVID, the reason I think they felt so productive is because they could hammer out their work, go for a walk with their family, play, play 18 holes, and still binge Tiger King on Netflix, wake up and do it all over again and go, man, I've got all the time in the world. Really, you were just working four hours a day, less than four hours a day anyway. So you figured out how to do that work, do it quickly, without all the fluff, sure, and then go enjoy your life. So I do think there's an element, though, of bringing people, when you say coming back to work, I was on the tollway last week and I was heading to Dallas and there was cars everywhere. And I was thinking to myself, there's no way if any of these people are going to a six o'clock soccer practice with their kids, they're gonna miss it. And they go, hey, I hate, I hate going to the office because I miss my daughter's soccer practice. I miss my son's football practice. So I think when you talk about coming back to work, the flexible schedule really is something we should be talking about. And like I was going with the football, you've probably trained some by yourself, but you had individual drills, then you had team drills, then you had offense versus defense. I, I do think structure is important but it's how we structure it's important. I think just to say, hey, let's flip the switch and go 8.30 to 5.30 or whatever your hours are, come sit in this desk and do your work, and oh, by the way, you can do three days at your house. I just don't think that's the right way to do it. And I think as organizations, too many times they've looked at their real estate as just an expense. So many times, and for most organizations, call it, what, 4%, 5% of cost or of revenue, right? It's not, it's not dramatic, it's still a cost. People are your most important. People are your most ex, your most expensive cost, right. but also your most expensive asset. Real estate's usually second or third. What I would say is take that real estate and say, okay, how do I move this from an expense to an asset? Mm. Like our office is a great example. Alex has been up there. I office at the Star in Frisco. I talk about football practice because I sit there and watch football practice all the time. Okay, right. love it. We moved our office from an expense from an expense to an asset. But we've helped so many other organizations do the same thing. Layouts, layouts matter, workflow matters. How many times have organizations as an architect ever said, okay, what's your company's workflow? I just talked about Henry Ford. He changed assembly by doing what? Did an assembly line. But yet as work, we don't even talk about how workflows, how, how how this department should sit next to you know, that department. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? I'll give you a micro example of this because you bring up a really good point. And um, and as you were describing, you know, your how we should change the thought process around decision making, around the schedule, and everything else, real estate, yeah. every other ex business expense, especially the material ones. What's the reason? Like, why? How are we using this money? And with a schedule, I think you know, I agree with you 100. percent And also, you know, I am a younger professional. And so for me, I understand and have seen firsthand how efficient you can be using technology right. effectively. Um, and, and, and as a result, 
of work from home and having a child and having to move things around, being totally happy with, okay, I'm working for these three hours, then I'm going to go work out at lunch, and then I'm going to work for you know four hours in the afternoon, knock out a bunch of calls. I'm gonna go pick up my son from school, we're gonna hang out, and then at 9.30 I might jump on for another 30 minutes, send out, you know, right. I touch it throughout the day. Me, that doesn't bother me. Some people, it would, it would, it would blur the line too much and it would affect their mental health. Uh, and then they would go be prescribed drugs for it, whatever. That's yeah. a different conversation. Yeah. But um, that's one thing. But the, Mike, the example I was going to bring up the other day, and Olivia's in the room, so Olivia was a part of this conversation. There was a, a question sent out, right? As, as in my CFO role, one of the things, that, not as exciting things I had to do is like, what is the budget for this? But m the, the question was, we have, we want to buy swag for the company. T-shirts. You know, shirts. Yeah. How much money can we spend? Um, as a percentage of our total operating expenses, you say real estate's five to ten for us. That's pretty close, and people are about six, seventy percent of that. Um, it, it was, it was, I think three one thousandths decimal place um, of our um, of our kind of opex. At least what we uh, a number that I set arbitrarily. And that, but my question was, okay. As opposed to how much money do we want to spend on this, how much money do we want to spend on this to generate return? And oh, what is that immeasurable return? I just return? had this like, conversation this morning. Yeah, I'm pumped. Like, Let's go into this. Yeah, I had so this what whole can conversation. We build, like, what can we build? How can we incentivize performance? And what. You know, go back to the swag. Oh, the swag. That, well, that's what it was. I My know, but like, like here's, how, here's the crazy thing. The question is. was how, what can we create with swag? to get people excited within the organization. And let's right. build a number based on that. How many people are hitting this number? Okay, so we need to allocate 5,000 because of this. How many people are hitting this number or going to this annual President's Club trip? Okay, let's spend X thousand on that stuff as opposed to starting with the number and then backing into what we want to do with it. Well, look, well I was going to say on the swag, look, I, I'm a member of a country club, a member of Cowboys Club as well. Uh, I went to SMU. I went to Allen High, played football at Allen High School. 22 years ago. Turned 40 tomorrow, by the way. I feel like I'm getting old. Hey, you happy early? Yeah, yeah, you know. It's, <laughs> hey, but, okay, so I'm out all the time, and I'll have Glen Eagles Country Club on my shirt. People go, hey, man, Glen Eagles. I'll be in the gym. I'll have an SMU shirt on. Hey, SMU, when were you there? I mean, people, people spark conversations. Maybe they just see that I'm approachable or something, you know, and I don't know, but I get asked all the time, hey, whatever I'm wearing. And I'm sitting there the other day, and I'm thinking to myself, why the heck am I wearing someone else's brand other than mine? Mm. Right? Why aren't they saying, hey, Roy, tell me about Cressa. Hey, Roy, what's, what's no conflicts mean? Well, it's because we only represent corporate users. We don't represent building owners. Like, the, why are they not hearing my message? And by the way, so if I had, let's just call it 100 people in my organization and 100 people wore those shirts to the gym three days a week, and they were wearing great looking Lululemon shirts, not some cheap cotton shirt that mm -hmm. you had mass produced that no one's ever gonna wear and it's gonna go to the bottom of a drawer and you say, hey, let's, let's get together and I'll take a picture and put it on LinkedIn that nobody's gonna see or pay attention to, okay? We talked about content, but, but if you spent that money and gave them great quality stuff, do you not think that that would lead to more clients, which is what? Absolutely. More revenue. 
yeah. they're because your people are an ambassador of your organization. You ever see, you ever seen a football coach or a football team? That you know, let's just take UT. They're not wear, walking around wearing A and M stuff. No, but why am I? No, but why am I? Champion shirts. Yeah. yeah, you know, especially after you know A and M lost to Appalachian State last week. But that's a whole that's other tough. discussion. That's why I like Nebraska. <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Right. Shout so, out. But, but here's what. But, but we talk. We want to talk about content and branding. Look, your space is part of your brand. Right. It's absolutely part of your brand. And if you're not having discussions about branding, then you're you're also having the complete wrong discussion. Our brand is closely aligned with being at the star. Is that a good brand or a bad brand? I think it's a great brand. If you look at when Nike, okay, we look at what Nike is today, but we forget all things that were that are big were once small. Mm. Nike used to be a small little company. Go read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, and you look at all the challenges and struggles. Nike couldn't get into the NFL. They had a contract with Reebok. The only way that Nike got into the NFL was through Jerry Jones. Phil Knight and Jerry Jones brokered a deal for the Cowboys to wear Nike. You remember the old Apex logo at Texas? Like, where is Apex today? I don't even Never heard of them. Never heard of them, right? Yeah. <laughs> they used to have the Apex logo. They used to have the Apex logo, right? Probably a, di probably a dying organization. But I think par partnerships matter, branding matters, and real estate's just a key component of that. But why are we wearing everyone else's brand? Drives me nuts. So this well, morning I went to my company, I was like, hey, order me. I love Lululemon and I love Peter Millar. And I go, hey, here's the deal. Here's, I'm gonna give you my credit card. I'm not gonna put it on this podcast. But hey, here's my, here's my credit card. I want all branded stuff and I want our slogans, anything that we have, I want it on my shirts and I want people asking me about it. Make it happen. Make it happen. Right. I don't think they're gonna do it though, Daniel. But why are they not? This is this is my issue, and this is how I'm trying to. And there's a yeah, new way of thinking. My marketing department's the most amazing marketing department in the world, as you know. Yeah, well, I know you got a. They got a pretty good side hustle coming from you too in the marketing uh, the marketing yeah. arena. Hey, look, um, we, we, that's why we drive our clients around in a Mercedes Sprinter van. I know the first time I I got the first experience with Chris, I was really impressed. Uh, formerly different company, but um, but the reason why is because, and I uh, was brought up and educated in this way of thinking. Uh, in my role, but I challenged the agenda a little bit. Yeah. Like we talked about challenging expectations and things, resetting expectations. Measurable return, the concept of a measurable return is something that business leaders struggle with all the time. And there's typically two ways of thinking. There's, I am willing to spend twice as much as I otherwise would or as I have historically on a shirt because I like the prospect or I'm excited about the prospect of People, you know, maybe there being twice as many conversations around who is that company on your Lululemon shirt as opposed to who's the company on your champion shirt, right? But you, it, it, to track that, there's not a mechanism to track that return right now. Now what we're getting, it's becoming easier the same way that we can track the return right. of digital content creation. You used to not be able to do that so easily. T-shirts and swag, it's very difficult, right? Talk about a lead source. No one's gonna put in a CRM, lead source, they saw my shirt and I had a conversation with them. It's unlikely. Ask your sales team to put that in their, in their CRM, good luck. Yeah, do that in Salesforce. We'll make that another drop down. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. from a cold call, a good podcast, luck. a LinkedIn, no. Good luck, but we have to, as uh, uh, the same way COVID is forcing us to because rethink. Because you know why? That's a logical, work from home. you know why? Because that's a lot, people make, again, they try to make logical decisions. Right. I can't. I can't logically, I can't logically tie a return to that in this time period, so I'm gonna do what? I'm just not gonna, not gonna do, do it. it. I'm just not gonna do it. Or 
I'm going to look at it as an expense and let's go negotiate with that vendor and try to get that expense down rather than saying, okay, what is the vision for the organization? My vision for the organization is when everyone thinks about staffing, they think about catapult. And right. so I don't care what it costs. I want everybody wearing. They're right. not starting with the end in mind. They're just looking at what's best for today. And I kind of go back to the same way, even with the office. If you're just going back, what's for the what's the best for today? We have to retain talent because we're in this employee war. Okay. You know what? There's a little thing like I'm not a huge like gardener, but if you do trees, there's there's the pruning process. Why? Because when you prune, when you clean stuff up, we know that it grows. What I'm saying for some organizations, I rather have a vision and know where I'm going. And those people that even if they're superstars are not on board and don't have the same vision, it's just part of the pruning process. Hey, we're going to lose some people. That's okay because I know where I'm going. I'm a leader. Get by, you know, follow me. Here's where we're here's where we're going, and I'm going to empower you to be successful. And when the company's successful, you'll be successful. And when you're successful, the company's going to be successful. Right. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. And, and this I is mean, the it, thing we've. Well, we've well, finish your thought, but then yeah, I've got some other things I want to jump into. But yes, yeah, yeah finish. Well, this is wrap it's interesting. Up here. You're talking about this only because like you know the reason why we're creating this podcast right now. Like Catapult has just recently kind of gone through, entered into a next phase of what I would consider growth, where we're looking at these things that don't have immediately measurable return, or in this current period or next, where we need to share our brand, post rebranding, but share our brand and show people what we're capable of, and worry less about the 0.5 percent margin that we're going to forego right. as a result of this investment, um, and, and to achieve the vision. So. Have you ever done a podcast with two more ADD people? <laughs> I mean, you see, the brain, the, yeah, I'm just how, letting the, the ping pong ball go back. This is how my mind works. Right? And I'm going like this, my ping pong ball and now. I, and what I'm trying to say is there, there is no clear-cut answer for everything. This is not some, ho- hopefully with this podcast, we're sparking, we're sparking discussion. Indeed. Life, life's about asking questions. I don't, I don't think if you're just sitting in a room with a guy that's got all the answers, you know, what's the smartest guys in the room? You don't want to be with the guy that thinks he's the smartest guy in the room. Well, the thing is, everything y'all are talking about, it ties back into... I would love to sit in on that one. Uh, I'm saying Elon Musk is the smartest guy in the room. Most likely. Yeah, most rooms. We're going to have to do our best to compete. I'd say we got some smart brains in here, too. Look, we're the next best thing, okay? Look, look, what I say though is, look, we're not putting we're not putting people on space. A lot of what we're doing is common sense, but right. unfortunately in life, common sense is not common practice. Sure. Well, and what I'm hearing from y'all is regardless of what the investment is, whether you're investing in team software to connect your hybrid team, whether you're investing in a physical environment to uh, you know, foster company culture, whether you're investing in swag, right, to build some brand. Um, stop looking at things beyond just cost and really think about how is this investment going to be an asset that is going to make me money, maybe three dominoes down the line, but it, it does benefit to an overall return. And sometimes that return isn't just cool, 5,000 extra in sales. Sometimes that return is, yeah, well, maybe the swag cost me a little bit, but the return is I got 10 more engaged employees. They feel good about what they're repping. We got them something of good quality and that builds buy-in, right? And so sometimes that stuff's harder to quantify, but what I want to do is now take that 
vision and apply it to corporate real estate, commercial real estate. So it's important to remember, I think, just how important the office has been for companies when hiring, to your point, right? When you were designing the office space, how many meeting rooms are we gonna have, right? We gotta make sure that when we bring in new folks to add to our staffing portfolio, that they trust Catapult to get them some jobs, right? Or the clients that come through the door, we need to make sure that they trust that Catapult, yeah, they've got a good vision, they've clearly got a clean space, they know how to treat us, so they're gonna know how to treat us in a professional sense as well. Now, that environment is very disrupted. It's either not a priority or, um, you know, for all businesses, or it's just like not, it doesn't make sense, right, as a cost. Now work from home is cheaper, we got to ditch the real estate, and we don't have that kind of environment to foster um, a good company image, right? Um, So I'm curious then, are you finding businesses struggling to adapt their selling points as a business to a remote work environment without that physical space, right? Both for the you know employees and clients as well. Because a big part of hiring employees was, what's my view gonna be, right? Who am I gonna have to sit next to? What are the on-site amenities, right? What kind of gear am I gonna have access to? Standing desk, sitting desk, Mac, PC? That's gone, that's out the window now, at least uh, for many industries. So our business is now struggling to sort of adapt to that um, new value proposition as a company without the physical space as a core selling point for this is why you want to work with us employee or this is why you want to work with us client what do you think well I think Roy touched on what creates a good culture a few times um, and and, I, and I've always been really adamant I grew up in the era of you know, my options for workplace were um, ac- you know across the spectrum I could go to a place that had ping pong tables in the lobby or you know, um, the best snacks or a great view or a gym on the first floor or a covered parking garage. That's right. all great. None of that stuff, and oftentimes companies that, that focus on that stuff, and I, I wonder if you can attest to this, that focus on the amenities Perfect. and investment and um, their real estate or space, miss the forest for the trees. And creating a good, so good. Creating a good culture has very little to do so good. With the finish of your office, with location, what cool bars are next door, those things are kind of secondary benefits, but it's all about what is the vision you're creating? How effectively is leadership conveying that vision and their excitement for that vision and its relative competitiveness within the existing landscape? And then what's the opportunity for the people in the organization? Do they want to grow within their career? Are you creating an opportunity for them to do so? Can they see how they're going to get there? Are you training them? Are you creating better professionals, not just better, in our case, recruiters or salespeople? Are you creating better business people? That's right. Are you investing in that? That creates the culture. So I think, look, companies who are already creating good culture that now don't have the ability to sell their really nice office space are not having any issues with that. But I'm interested to know what so, you think like, about let's, this. So, like, let's let's take uh, Apple. iPhone came out in 07. When did Steve Jobs come back? Their pitch wasn't come to Apple, where we have a ping pong table, <laughs> a latte bar, and a gym on the first floor and covered parking, with close proximity with all these amenities. Right. What do they say? We're gonna go change the world, right? We're gonna go change the world. Gateway probably said, hey, 
we've got all these amenities, come work for us, we're a stable company. Yep. And so for me, I want the organization that says, hey, we're gonna go do something. We're gonna go do something big and let's go do it together. To me, that's exciting. By the way, I love my family more than anything in the world. I wanna have work-life balance. But part of who I am, part, not whole, but part of who I am is the work that I do and I spend a lot of time doing it. I wanna be a part of something special. And that's what I love what you said. Like, I'm, I'm blown away by these companies that talk about these amenities or the things that they've done and then talk about how they have a great culture. It'd be like saying, hey, I am, you know, I'm in the dating, if you're in the dating world and you say, I'm a really good boyfriend. I send flowers every Friday. <laughs> uh, I, take, I take her to a white tablecloth restaurant every, every Saturday. Um, you know, I send a text message at this time and then I have her take a, you know, I have her take a survey to see that how I'm doing and I make sure that because I do those things, I want her to rank me high as a good boyfriend. That's a great analogy. But, but, that's, but that's what we do. Look, well, that's, <laughs> that's so it's not, again, that's not, these are like, that's not a really, again, kind of going back to the logical thing. I probably didn't explain that well, but this is what we do as organizations rather than saying, what are people and what do you need at the core? At the well, core, what do you want? What's funny is you, you know, you make the example at an interpersonal level and, you know, we both laugh like, yeah, that's ridiculous, right? Who would ever be like, I'm a, I'm a good dude. I'm a good boyfriend because laundry list of tasks, laundry list of tasks, you know, it's like, uh, okay, you're clearly missing the plot. But then like well, you translate- That's trans- you said the misforce for the truth. Like, right. You're missing it. Like we're well, just we also, missing it. We also see, I mean, you can walk out, go to any steakhouse in Dallas, and you'll see a material percentage of people at tables that look like they might be in a relationship like the one you described. What's the, what is the commonality between businesses who try to market clients or internal employees and the way that that guy is marketing his capabilities as a boyfriend by way of how much money he's going to invest or she's That's going right. to invest in a relationship. It's likely not going to last very long, and if it does, it's probably not going to be considered a healthy relationship. That's right. And so, um, that's a great. That's why it's a perfect analogy. Let's talk about healthy. Let's talk about healthy relationships in life. Mm. Mm. So then, okay. I mean, there's a healthy work. There's a, but there's a healthy relationship with your employee, like the people around you. Definitely. There's a healthy relationship with your company. There's a healthy relationship with your spouse. And look, it, going back to the point we made earlier, if something is healthy, what is it doing? It's growing. If it's not healthy, what is it doing? Dying. It's dying. Right? Yep. And so go back to the three things. Do we have a vision for the future? Do we love people? Are we making sacrifices for the people that we love? And are we operating from pride or also insecurity? How many times do we operate from insecurity and nobody ever wants to say that? How many people want to mm. look? The, the, the guy at the, that's taking the girl to the steakhouse, he's probably insecure. He's not a good cook and he's got to take her to the steakhouse because if he really wanted to impress her, I mean, that'd be pretty impressive. Hey, why don't you come over to. Why don't you come over to my environment? I'm gonna throw on some Michael Bublé and I'm gonna cook up some nice fillets with a salad and a nice '87 Cabernet. I'm just saying that's probably a little bit more impressive, Alex. Yeah, I would say so. Um, I gotta add that to my uh, repertoire. Yeah, we'll work on that. Uh, yeah. Chef skills. Yeah. <laughs> that may not be a healthy relationship either. It might not. There's so many other things to consider. There's so many other topics we could. That's that's. But what were you saying? I interrupted. Well, you. no. What what I wanted to say then is like. I agree that the um, you know the 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 essence of a company's selling point probably shouldn't be tied to 
yeah, you got an ergonomic desk. Yes, you can go work out. We'll pay for your, um, you know, your parking. And when you and the homies are done knocking out all those tasks, you can get a drink at the local pub downstairs. It's like, okay, those are nice things, but does that really speak to the vision of the company, the sort of long-term retention for employees, right? However, I do still want to intersect that to some degree now with work from home being a big decider for people, that remote, a selling point is still the physical environment. And how do you now retool that to keep the core there, to keep that essence there and to not miss the forest for the trees? So the the question here is then, how do you retain a competitive edge as a business when one of your main selling points, or at least a common selling point, who knows if it's good, the office, right, is now kind of gone or at least not as much of a tool. Now you're competing on the same playing field as competitors, right? Great, I have so many now more options to work hybrid or remote, but now I have to pick between these three companies that all offer me remote or all offer me hybrid or all offer me, I get to choose what I wanna do. Hybrid works for me, I'm gonna do hybrid. Three companies are giving me that opportunity, right? There are so many, I guess, variations to remote before. You know, everyone's now offering more or less that same convenience. I'm generalizing a bit here, but just to frame up like, how do you retain that competitive edge now with the literal offering, but then also trying to communicate how this one slice of the work-life balance represents the core, the essence. I I can talk about how you you said how you communicate it. Sure. So it's a a little bit, we've given different examples. I love how Simon Sinek gives it, who I've quoted already in here. Most organizations talk about the what, and then they go to the how. Here's what we do, and here's how we do it, and then they never get to the why. Going back to Apple, or let's just say a a drug manufacturer that makes a pill that cures cancer, okay? Hey, as an organization, our goal is to change the world. We realize that health and disease, here's how we do it. We do it through this pill that that cures cancer, and here's what we do, right? What we do is, then we get into the flexible benefits, organization structure. I think most organizations, when they are communicating, they're leading from the outside in, not the inside out. So I think if people are gonna buy into your culture and what you're doing, you first have to talk about your why, then you have to talk about how you do that with your why, and then you communicate what you do. Too many organizations aren't doing that. And so they're saying, well, what we'll do is we'll just make a decision and go, hey, we're all remote. We're, or you're coming back to the office and it's 3-2, and people don't buy what you do and how you do, they buy, they buy why you do it. And it's, to, to your question, let's add another component to that. I think this is important. I think what, you're, what you wanted to ask was, like, imagine there are three companies. They offer the same remote working benefits. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine also that, because we talked about the stack ranking of priorities and importance of what's going to motivate people to want to come work as a part of this team or my team. It's also assumed that all three of them have equally motivating or powerful whys, right? And so now you've got... You're just going for the biggest check, you've, aren't you? Well, now, well, <laughs> well, I want to get to how, because we just talked about, before we got into the conversation of why the real estate the space doesn't matter. But right before that, we said, hey, inve- Environment, investments in, on, on, on assets to your organization that don't have immediately kind of recognizable return uh, are, are difficult investments to make or convince people to make. But it's important. it becomes important when you're competing at the same level everywhere else. 
if you've got the good culture not created by proximity to amenities um, and you know how cool uh, what if you've got electric scooters in your office and a racetrack to race around uh, on them that stuff becomes important when you do everything else right, right. That, the, the, when you've got the foundation adding that stuff to it creates unicorn companies right in a lot of cases and and makes people stay for a long time and so that's why people like Roy and people that do what he does and do it well are really important to organizations like Catapult, companies who are growing quickly because he can sniff out, hey, do these people have all of these things. He can go through his data and show me, hey, well, this is where all the people live, the people that you want to hire, proximity to your office, all the other data that's relevant to that everyone else can pull for me. But also, hey, what are other companies doing in the space? How, if you guys are competing on the same frequency everywhere else, what's really gonna make you competitive as all these other companies. Hey, that gym might really be valuable to you. That covered parking garage based on you know average income of mm-hmm. employees, whatever they might be driving age, like that could also be really important. And the fact that we have tornadoes every you know few months in Texas and how extreme the weather is. So that stuff is important. I don't wanna, because of the conversation we just had, downplay it. That's right. But you've got to get the other stuff right. Yeah. before it becomes... And I've almost downplayed it because every real estate professional wants to sell you on what? More expensive real right. estate. Right. And I'm saying, hey, let's let's actually take less square footage in less expensive buildings and let's get everything else right. And then you get to apply those funds more intentionally. That's Be- right. Yep. Look, you're, you're going to make... You're going to spend money. Let's just understand how we're spending it, why we're spending it, and are we going to get a good return on investment? The problem is you nailed it. Like so many times we're taught, if you can't measure it, you can't what? You can't manage it. And so a lot of the things that we're doing, it's really hard to measure it. And the other thing is, are you a leader or are you a manager? So what I would say, Mm, managers like to, hey, I wanna quantify, I wanna understand, and then I wanna be able to go back to my boss and support the decisions that I've made. Where I think part of a leader is you're taking you're taking risk. You're saying, hey, you know what? I don't know why, but something in my gut tells me that if we do this, things are going to be different. That's that's by the way, that takes guts. I mean, we talk about right. that from a leadership standpoint. It's real easy to I wouldn't say it's real easy, but it's easier to try to manage and just kind of fit in the corporate system, but to say, hey, I want to do something differently. It's risky. And you know what? But life is risky. Jim Rome used to say, guess what? None of us are going to make it out of here alive. We're going to die. That's true. So Make it count, you know? Bruce Arians, no risk it, no biscuit. I like that I like that guy. <laughs> I like Bruce Arians, BA. Uh, we're approaching the end of the conversation. So what I want to do is pose up one more question here that is, is pretty strategic, but it still channels everything we talked about, which is communicating effectively this vision, this heart, uh, the essence of what work from home really represents, which is a flipping of the dynamic of how employers and employees collaborate, how they relate to each other, and sort of like the value proposition that an employee has to offer their employer and employer has to offer their employee in this new sort of uh, competitive environment. So again, we talk on how do you evangelize that, right? How do you make that X factor known? I'm curious if 
you see strategies for um, you know, putting, for example, digital marketing content, like this podcast that we're doing right now, front and center in standing out. And are y'all doing anything? I mean, literally, we're on your podcast right now, so we're doing this. But beyond that, right, are there sort of any uh, bits of engagement data that you can highlight to support these strategies? Or where does, where does the digital ecosystem of content fit into making that essence known and really communicating the vision so that you stand out amongst the competition? Mm, Thoughts? Well, this is a great way to tie everything together um, because everything we've talked about so far were decision-making factors as to why Catapult started to invest in this type of marketing and content creation. So when you've got uh, a, you know, a dramatic kind of um, external factor disrupting your entire workforce, the entire economy, and then we're, we're coming back in, everyone's working from home, we're trying to figure out how can we continue to keep our team engaged? How can we move closer to the front of our industry and how we're leveraging digital content. All this stuff ties together because we had to simultaneously grow, survive COVID, and then adapt or adopt rather a hybrid, you know, work from home kind of policy. But we've got to keep people engaged. We need to show our organization what we're doing, how we're doing it, constantly remind them of our why, and the great way to do that is by creating short-form digital media. Um, so you're talking internal and external, internal right? and external. Right. So that there was there was two reasons. One, we need we need to sell what at Catapult we feel like we do better than anyone. It's create a culture, and and relay the vision to the organization, um, and compete at the highest levels and provide the best service in what we do. And we didn't feel like we were doing that well externally. We also realized that we need to be doing the same thing internally with our employees. What, what are we spending money on? What are we doing to put you, recruiter or salesperson at Catapult, in the best position to succeed? Client, potential client, what are we doing to differentiate ourselves and what is it our, a relatively commoditized industry? And so for us, you know, it was, it was a big step in the direction of, hey, we're going to spend money on this. We're going to invest in this, this type of cost. And we're not going to see immediate return on this, but we're going to see it in the long term. And, and we've started to see it. Engagement on our LinkedIn, our social media platforms has gone up tremendously. Um, just hearing within the organization people saying, love what we're doing. Olivia is here, right? She is making catapult by way of investment and in, in market scale and other platforms more competitive by, sh- by one, enhancing the perception of the company, properly representing our capabilities to our um, you know, potential client base, um, and you know, communicating more frequently and effectively with the organization. So um, it's been great for us, and Roy has been doing the same. Yeah. Yeah, so... No, I mean, let's, let's hear it from, you know, to round things out, I want to hear from the corporate real estate side, right? Like, how are you leveraging content to continue to not only internally sell the vision of Cressa, but also externally communicate that sort of the value proposition of commercial real estate is changing in this new work environment? Where does content fit into your strategy? So I think you have to look at content two different ways. 
Are you an entertainer? Or are you an informer? There's a lot of people out there that like to entertain. And then there's people that say, hey, I've got something of value and I want to inform you about it. And so I think when you look at LinkedIn specifically, I think you see a lot of pictures on LinkedIn. Like, hey, I think it's great your company went to the golf tournament and sponsored it. Awesome, that's, that's great. Or I'm glad I saw a picture of y'all at a happy hour. That's great. But to me, that's not even entertaining and it's not informative. It's kind of like, you know, seeing a grandma that's on Facebook posting random pictures. Like, I don't really feel like that's adding any value. So I love to read. I read 30 to 40 books a year. You know, I went to business school. You know, in football, they call it the student of the game. And in business, I feel like I'm a student of the game. In business, it's just, to me, it's the funnest game in the world. It's the infinite game. It never ends. Even if I lost this year, I can win next year, right? And if I lose this decade, I can still win next decade. And so everything that I'm trying to do from my content standpoint is I'm trying to take everything that I'm learning in a short two-minute video and trying to inform you, whether it's a book, a podcast that I'm hearing, it could be a church sermon, it could be anything that sparks that interest because we know that in order to get better, we have to continue to grow, right? That's also part of a healthy organization. And one of the best ways we can grow is to grow our mind. I know I've used a lot of different analogies, but I believe reading to the brain is what exercises to the body. And I believe both of them are healthy for the body to have a healthy, to have a healthy organization. And so all I'm trying to do is educate and inform people off what I'm reading and learning and then have a discussion. I think when you go back to, from a real estate standpoint, I'm really not trying to inform anybody how they should be doing it. My clients are executives and entrepreneurs. They're some of the brightest business minds I've ever met. Look at, I mean, Alex is a great example. Super successful CFO, super successful company, and a lot of my clients are that way. So all I'm trying to do is facilitate a discussion and get you to think about, to stop and think. You're running your business so much. Let's stop and think about our real estate. Is this an expense or is it an asset? How does it affect our branding? How does it affect our people? How does it affect our culture? What can we do when this, by the way, it's a lease. That's the other thing. 95% of our business is leases. So you don't own it. You don't have to go sell it. You have an end date, whether it's five years from now or two years from now, but let's have that discussion. And then how do we pivot? And usually a lot of times it's not monumental changes. I'm talking a lot of these things are just minor pivots. It's like you go work and you go play golf, right? The difference between hitting it perfect right down the fairway and shanking it over to the other green is usually one degree of separation. It's just a small change. And so I think what we're trying to do with organizations is just a small change. I'm not trying to say, hey, you've been working from home. Everyone come back to the office. What are those little bitty pivots? What are those little bitty changes that we can make that's the big difference between being right on the fairway and being on the wrong hole. Right. Which, by the way, I'm playing tomorrow for my 40th birthday. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this when I'm hitting it to the wrong the fairway. Wrong right. Yeah, I'm driving my cart over there. So uh, I think Minor change. I think, I think that's what we're trying to do with organizations. And I think a lot of times everything seems so daunting and overwhelming. It's not. Sure. Small tweaks. Small changes go a long way. I mean, especially if you as a hypothetical business already feel confident in that, that vision and in, in what you're 
you know, your end goal is, the long term. Um, if there is confidence there, it should be easy to tweak everything else around it. Maybe we'll just invest, yeah, maybe we pulled back completely from our corporate real estate footprint. Instead, you know, maybe we'll reopen a smaller office and we'll test the waters a little bit and see, look, we understand some of you work better in person. We want to give you that opportunity. However, we're not saying that you have to come in if you work from home because we understand some of you love to work from home too. So here's this, we'll test the waters and you slowly tweak. Little adjustments, like you said, right? Not broad brushes. I, I really think that's the essence of it. Do you agree? I agree. Yeah, no, that's what you do really effectively with the content you're creating. And that's yeah. what we're trying to do here. I would agree. You got any more, you got any more questions? <laughs> I, I could go all day. Yeah, I mean, this, same. This, yeah. this could be like a Joe Rogan. I could My go five hours. Is open. I, could go, so, I could go five hours. So could I. I think what we'll need to do is, honestly, there were a lot of topics here that I wanted to touch on, localizing some of this more to the Dallas ecosystem. But I think we'll just need to do another follow-up uh, episode to this because we've already gone about an hour. So time flies when you're having fun, right? Um, so I think what we'll go ahead and do is we'll wrap up this episode. Thank you so much, the two of you, for coming on and helping us really dig through the noise of work from home and better understand like what is really at stake here when we consider a change to the work environment. Um, how do we need to change our value proposition to employees, to clients? Uh, and what does it mean to stand out and compete in this new environment. So I appreciate both of you. Again, we were joined by Alex Anderson, Chief Financial Officer at Catapult, and for the first time on the podcast, Mr. Roy Reese, Senior Vice President at Cressa. Uh, I'll give you all a quick opportunity to evangelize yourselves. Uh, Roy, where can folks find out a little bit more about Cressa and get the bigger picture for what you're selling here? You know what, just come follow me on LinkedIn. Roy Reese, Reese is spelled R-E-I-S. I'll put out content. It's not just going to be entertaining, right? It's not going to be a cat video, <laughs> which, by the way, if I do find an awesome one, I'll get. Uh, yeah, come on. But it's going to be about some of the greatest, some of the greatest business books that I've read, and me giving you short recaps. It takes an author two years to write a book. Mm. It's two years of their life, usually twenty years of experience. A lot of times, it takes me a few hours to read it, and I'm going to give you the, the overview in two minutes. So mm. I'm just trying to provide value to to my audience. The information funnel. That's right. I like it. And Alex, um, obviously the website, catapultsg.com, but is there anything else that you want to point people to relating to our topic today or, um, you know, resources, ways to get in touch? Yeah, no, I would encourage all, uh, everyone um, to, to follow the Higher Standard Podcast. We're, we're spending a lot of time, Olivia is working really hard on creating a strategy around um, what we, how we want to leverage this podcast, who we want to have on the podcast, bringing people like Roy on so that we can use this um, as a, a medium of education, not only for potential clients or current clients, um, but anybody who wants to learn more about whatever we might be discussing. Uh, one of the objectives for us is to bring experts onto the podcast to talk about things that they're experts in. Subject matter expertise uh, is hard to come by, especially um, unbiased and unfiltered, and that's what we're trying to accomplish. So um, yeah, follow the Higher Standard Podcast. As you said, you can find it on Spotify. Uh, I believe we're on Apple. As yes, well, indeed. Um, everywhere. But start with the website, and then uh, you can go from there. And follow us on LinkedIn, and we'll continue to post updates and clips from these uh, podcasts. Gotta love it. Hey, uh, real estate guy, did a podcast. Did not mention rental rates, vacancy, or buildings, because 
we can figure that out in about five seconds. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we're, that's, not the value, that's not the value we bring. We're getting beyond the clerical stuff, right? We're getting to the heart of it. I love it. Alex, Roy, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining thank us, you. and I'm looking forward to the next one. Awesome. I'm sure it'll thank come you. soon. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Higher Education, a Catapult Solutions podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today, make sure that you subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and head to the website, catapultsg.com. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Higher Education.